the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out live. Come and jump in the chat. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like button. Uh, A great way to let people know the awesome stuff that we've got going on here at the Cover 3 Podcast. We've got a, a fun a deep dive into a topic that probably won't have any uh, firm um, conclusion anytime soon, but it was certainly eye-opening as we started to see some of the reports that the SEC, as it goes into its spring meeting, is really starting to envision what the future is going to look like once Texas and Oklahoma join. We'll have this 16-team league. It's going to have some of the biggest programs and brands in all of college football. So, So what are they going to do about their championship and how might that impact the rest of college football? We're going to get into that and much more coming up in just a little bit, but want to start with a little bit of news uh, as the recruiting trail provided um, a a wrinkle in the Arch Manning recruitment because uh, Eli Holstein, a four-star prospect from the class of 2023, one of the uh, eight, the eighth-ranked quarterback in that 2023 class, he committed to Alabama. Addition to that quarterback room, but the we we cannot say Arch Manning's name enough. Arch Manning, Arch Manning, Arch Manning, Arch Manning. Uh, people love the Arch Manning news, and so I wanted to just open this up as we you know, look at where Arch Manning, who's a player who has already been um, you know, tabbed as a generational talent, like some of the other generational talents that we've seen come through in recent years. Do you think that this means that Alabama is out of the Arch Manning sweepstakes? Who do you think now might be in the lead right there uh, as Manning continues to remain uncommitted in that 2023 class? I... I don't know that it means Alabama's out. Like as far as my understanding of the situation, Arch Manning is down to three schools and it's Georgia, Alabama, Texas. Now that's as everything when it comes to recruiting is fluid, things can change depending on what, but I I think those are the three places he has official visits set up. But when you look at the way quarterback recruiting goes, most schools, especially, you know, like the top schools that kind of have their picks of the litter, don't take multiple QBs like they've got their board and they take the one guy and they kind of have everybody hold off until they find out what the other guy's doing. So if Holstein's making his commitment to Alabama now, I do think that could be seen as an indicator of where Alabama feels it stands in the Arch Manning pursuit, or maybe Alabama's just decided it wants to go a different direction. I don't know. I would think at this point though, I feel like it's going to be Georgia or Texas for Manning and I'm leaning Texas. 
Mm. Mm. Um, this is fascinating. I think it's one of those, like, because in recruiting, if you're Bama and you've got Eli Holstein there and he's like, I want to commit, and they're like, they probably are still want Arch Manning, but they don't want to be stuck with nothing or a third option or a lesser option or a three-star quarterback. So, like, they can't play the long game and just say, well, can you hold on a little bit? They have to take – like, if he wants to commit, they have to take him. I don't think it necessarily means it. Oh, it's over. And if you're Arch Manning, I, I think with his stature, with his name, I'd be like, I'm going out. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat whoever I need to beat. Like I would expect that's anybody's mentality coming out. But I do wonder if this does. If you're having a list of pros and cons, I think one of them would be there's a kid, four star, pretty good quarterback in my class at Alabama already. I would put that in the con uh, territory. Like I wouldn't say it's a deal breaker, but I definitely think it would elevate some of the other schools to the forefront. I don't know. I I have no idea what's going on with this recruitment process. I do know, you know, like from a standpoint of what I would do, like Danny Werfel and myself were coming out at the exact same time with the same class. Uh, We were being recruited by the same schools. We talked probably once a month. We just catch up. Hey, what are you thinking? And we kind of decided, why would we go to the same place? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would we go and one of us is going to win a battle and the other one's going to be sitting on the bench? We don't want to do that. So we kind of decided to go to different schools. I committed to Florida State. The next day, he committed to Florida, and it was kind of done. And I was looking at Florida. Like, I, was, I had offers from them, too. So, like, I wonder if that's a current mindset of Arch Manning that he's thinking, why would I go compete with somebody, maybe lose, and then I'm sitting on the bench. Why don't I just go somewhere where it's a little bit of a clearer path? And you're going to have to compete wherever you go, but why go with somebody with, you know, that type of pedigree? Yeah, like he's not Arch Manning. Like, Arch Manning is the number one player considered in the class. He's, like, you know, got, like, a perfect score on the composite as far as, like, his five-star. But Holstein is the number eight QB in the composite, and he's a very highly rated four-star. It's not like this is some, you know, schlub that Alabama ended up with. It's going to be a kid who's going to be good. And honestly, like, I I have not seen Arch Manning in person. I've seen highlight tapes. The people who do this for a living, who evaluate high school talent that I talk to about him, all tell me that it's very real. He's a very good player. He's a very good prospect. But no matter how often I hear that, I'm not going to be convinced that the kid's last name isn't playing a part in his ranking as far as what people think. Like you look at him and you see who his you know uncles are and you see what his grandfather is and you see what they accomplished. And it's only it's it's natural to sit there and think, well, you know, that's what he's going to be become. That's you know, he's got that kind of lineage. He's going to be a great player like they all were. He's going to be a pro. So that's going to impact the way you view him just to begin with, because, you know, his name. So I'm not convinced that there's like. Manning and Holstein, there's really as large of a difference as far as their ability or who they could be. But I do, from reading up on Holstein, the scouting report on him is that he's got a very high floor. Maybe he doesn't have the same ceiling as a lot of these guys because he doesn't have like tremendous arm strength as far as pushing the ball down the field. But you could also argue if you look at the situations, if the talent isn't that disparate between two prospects, who would you want to bet on? The guy who ends up at Alabama or a guy who ends up at Texas or Georgia? Because as we've seen, like with Georgia, like one of the reasons I think that I I would lean Texas if it's between those two at this point is we've seen Georgia. There's really not they haven't, you know, Kirby's won a national title. He's done a lot of great things. But the one thing he hasn't done yet is develop a QB 
and have him, you know, go on to be an NFL player. Like Jake Fromm got drafted, but Jake Fromm is not, you know, tearing things apart in the NFL. Stetson Bennett might end up in the NFL. He might not. He had a really good season, but he's not really kind of the, you know, pro player kind of prototype. Justin Fields was there. Justin Fields left. Texas, at least with Sark, you get the idea that he has groomed QBs in his past. And so maybe that seems to be more of an attractive route. So that's why I think Arch Manning is there. But here's, I'm kind of rambling at this point. But here's another thing I want to bring up. What happened last week between Jimbo and Saban? Well, um, uh, a nice little back and forth, you know, just uh, you, you might call it a spat. Nick, Nick seemed to be in a bad mood, right? Talking to his boosters about how we're not doing a good enough job in this NIL era of coming together, figuring out what it takes to get this done. We're slipping and recruiting. Then a week later, Eli Holstein commits to Alabama. And now we're wondering what that means for Alabama's pursuit of Arch Manning. This is all pure speculation, but yes. What if Nick got some news last week from Arch Manning or like, you know, the people around Arch Manning that indicated that he wasn't going to come to Alabama and Nick was just kind of in his feels because maybe he thinks that whoever he ends up going to did a much better job on the NIL front and all that kind of stuff. Although, I don't know if it really means as much with with Arch Manning, considering his family. I don't think this is a situation where you really need to buy him because I think he's going to be okay. But I just wonder if maybe these things aren't connected somehow. Well, I so when you said Texas over Georgia, was that prediction or was that what you would do? Because that's the I think that's another okay both. You would say that you'd go to Texas because uh, of Georgia's history that you just mentioned, Steve Sarkeesian's own history, and I guess if you're looking at you know, what they're going to be stepping into. Clearly, there is an effort right now at Texas that, you know, Quinn Ewers is going to pave the path for what these 100 rated quarterbacks can do. Because wasn't Quinn Ewers a 100, if, if not like a nearly close, perfect yeah. score uh, in terms of the analysis of what he can be and and the reports that we got from spring practice and some of the offseason workouts suggest that he could be really, really good this season. So is that a, like, go to Texas, be able to jump right into this offense um, and avoid the Georgia pitfalls, I guess you could say, for some of these top-rated blue-chip quarterbacks? Or, uh, I mean, if you get Arch Manning, you build your offense around Arch Manning, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I I don't know if I would consider Georgia a pitfall as much as going, again, going back to the Saban-Jimbo thing. When you read some of the articles, I think it was Feldman's at The Athletic, like part of... Jimbo's rift with Saban was that while he was his offensive coordinator, you know, Nick didn't want Jimbo doing what he wanted to do on offense. It was about my defense. We're going to win with defense. The offense is just there not to screw it up. I kind of get the same sense that what Kirby's doing at Georgia isn't all that dissimilar to what Saban was doing at LSU at the time. And God knows it's working pretty well for him. So he's got no reason to change it at this point. So if you are a quarterback, a highly rated one who's got NFL aspirations, and that is your primary goal, I just think the former offensive coordinator who has produced and developed QBs in his history is more attractive than Georgia right now. Mm. I think there could be an attractive sell for Georgia if you're Kirby Smart saying, hey, you could be the Tua, like when all of a sudden Bama's offense took off because Mm -hmm. before that it was very conservative and he was winning that way just like Georgia has. But you could sell him on – you could be the guy. You could be the one that changes that narrative here at Georgia. We'll be – 
That takes a lot of trust, though. I mean, I'd be like, hey, trust me, we're going to let you air it out. And what you watch every week is not that. Um, but you could sell them on, hey, we haven't had a quarterback like you. We've had quarterbacks with limitations. Uh, Stetson Bennett fan club aside, like that you've got issues. Like we, we, we've, had, we've had to work with what we've got. If we have you, it will look totally different. I think that's what you got to sell them on if you're and- Georgia. You know, Holstein is, uh, as you mentioned, Tom, a, a very highly rated player. You know, the rest of the quarterbacks that are committed here, we got Nico going to Tennessee, Malachi Nelson going to USC, uh, Chris Vizina going to Clemson. I mean, these are all players that we have celebrated in terms of being some of the top quarterbacks in the class. And to your point about the Saban Jimbo thing, getting uh, the commitment from Holstein, who's also considering Texas A&M, probably uh, a nice little win to go and get there. And then I, I want to add this. So 24-7 Sports uh, Director of Recruiting Steve Wiltfong, Bama Online Publisher Tim Watts, uh, they have both said that the commitment of Eli Holstein does not alter the Crimson Tide's pursuit of top-ranked signal caller Arch Manning. He's got an official visit planned to Tuscaloosa next month. If Alabama goes in and finds a way to get Eli Holstein and Arch Manning, then it was all worth it. Mm-hmm. But whatever you did to be able to motivate anybody who needed to be motivated, then it was a hundred percent worth it. Here's what, what I do think is interesting about Arch Manning's future: we haven't heard any. I mean, have you guys heard any idea of where he's leaning? There are zero crystal ball projections, and so even like that idea that Nick might have heard something that gives him the that gives him a notion of where Manning may or may not be leaning, whether Alabama is or is not in the mix there. I think that there is um, a real. The added fascination is that no one seems to even have a lean on where Manning might end up. Yeah, our, I mean, part of the benefit of being a Manning and having that kind of just knowledge of how it works and just the security and comfort from that name, like he holds all the cards. Like he knows that these schools are all waiting on him or there's nothing. If he chooses them, he knows they're all good. They're not like, if he says, I want to go to Alabama, like he calls Saban and says, I'm, I'm, I'm coming, I'm committing. It's not like Nick's going to be like, no, sorry, we don't have a spot. Like anywhere he wants to go is going to have a spot for him. So he doesn't have to be like, you know, a lot of kids are talking to the reporters and they're giving them hints. They're saying, oh, I'm leaning here. Or like people close to them, coaches, high school coaches, all that kind of stuff are saying, well, you know, giving him hints, leaning where he's going, picking up information that way. Manning doesn't have any of that. Like he doesn't have to. Like he doesn't. The only people that know really are him and his family. And they're not talking to anybody because they don't have to talk to anybody. So, yeah, it's hard to get a crystal ball read when nobody's telling you anything. <laughs> Yeah, Holstein, uh, a decommit, uh, I believe, from, uh, from Texas A&M. From, from Texas A&M. Yeah, so maybe maybe Jimbo's going to have to go after Nick again. Say, like, I don't know what he did. In fact, Jimbo, if you're listening, I he would is. do that. You should definitely call a press conference today to accuse Nick Saban of cheating and stealing your recruits. Go, go find out how he did it, huh? Go find out. We, we build him up to be some kind of czar. We go, we, why don't you go ask anybody who worked with him? You go, go find out what he did. By the way, Chip, I, you just got out of prison, and I want you to have a good life and enjoy it. So I just want to mention that Jackson Arnold is also a top quarterback committed to Oklahoma. Because mm. you didn't mention him when you were listing all the top QBs. And I, really, I don't want Sooner Nation oh, coming no. rolling up on you. <laughs> Hey, I've got a, um, I've got a superlatives coaching superlatives like high school style feature that uh, will be coming on CBSSports.com later today, and I, I think that Link, both Lincoln Riley and Brent Venables are the new hires with the best chance to win a conference championship right away. 
Well, yeah, because they're at USC at Oklahoma. Well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying that about Mario Cristobal or Billy Napier. That's a little bit further down the line. I think that, you know, Venables could step in and win the Big 12 right away. He could because he's the coach at Oklahoma, the best program in the Big 12. Do you see their win total? Nine and a half. I think it might have been lower. Oh, well, then I'm going to go I've seen over. it as low as eight and a half. I'm going to no, go over. Yeah, hammer that over. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, we got, that, is a, that is a great reminder that we do have, uh, you know, we're going to start putting on the schedule our win total breakdowns. We will be counting them up, telling you how many games we're going to win this fall. The numbers are out at Caesars, but of course we want to make sure that we get the most amount of information so that our analysis is informed. But yeah, I would, uh, I would absolutely. I think that Oklahoma is a ten-win team. Where is it? Oklahoma at Oklahoma at Caesar Sportsbook nine and a half minus one ten okay. to each side. Sharp number. Normally you got minus fifteens right there. It's a really really good number. Uh, but we've got plenty of time to get in to win totals. All right, we've got some big meetings going on uh, across college football. The spring meetings have brought out a lot of conversation about the future of the sport, college football playoff expansion, you know, what we are going to see after this next round of realignment, which will include Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 and joining the SEC. Well, we see an SEC-only playoff. Get into some of those reports and more next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So ESPN's Pete Thamel uh, came out with a, sort of a table setter for the SEC spring meetings in Destin, which include one of the primary topics going to be, you know, what the SEC does in terms of scheduling. Like that's but before we even get to the playoff po- portion of this, you know, we have seen and, and I know Danny, you and Bud talked a little bit about, um, you know, divisions now slowly s- starting to leave a lot of the the scheduling formats. You know, the Pac-12 is going to not change their schedule, but at least m- name its championship game competitors, not based on the North and South division winners, but the top two teams in terms of win percentage. Mountain West is also going to be moving there very quickly. The assumption is that we will see more conferences move to this position, allowing themselves the best opportunity to get college football playoff bids uh, instead of that scenario where if you've got two teams from one division, only one of them goes, and the other one might also be a competitor for a college football playoff spot, you end up losing that opportunity. So it, everyone is rethinking scheduling. Everyone is rethinking uh, how you want to put together a conference schedule, how you want to name your conference championship. But the SEC has 16 daggum teams. 
that it's going to be having starting in 2025. Before we get to the SEC only playoff portion of this, I mean, what what do you think the SEC conference schedule is going to look like? Because currently they are at the low end, only playing eight games in its conference schedule. If you are only playing eight games with a 16-team conference, you're never going to see anybody. How does this end up working out for the SEC and what kind of changes do you think they are discussing when they're talking about what the future is going to look like with Texas and Oklahoma on board? I trying to break this down, like it's impossible to do it where you're going to be able to play teams regularly. And I honestly, I don't know. Like, I, I think that the SEC does care about that because I think that a lot of the fan bases in the conference have been bothered by, you know, like, the teams in separate divisions rarely see each other. Like Georgia and Alabama hardly ever play in the regular season. It's like every 12 years, I feel like. And then Georgia, like uh, since Texas A&M has been in the conference, have they even played Georgia yet? Once. No. Oh, oh, not, no? Not, in, not in College Station. Yeah, right. so right. I, I think that it's this is one of the byproducts that honestly I think speaks to a problem that the sport features as a whole in that like rivalries and all that stuff matter to the fans, but I feel like we've gotten into a portion of the sport where it's been more about trying to get as much money as you can. And it's kind of sacrificed these things. And now we're kind of reaching a breaking point where it's like, okay, well we've, we've sacrificed a little too much. The money's great. We need to get back. But I don't know that now that you're at 16 teams, that there is a realistic way to at least make it regular. Like if you have a pod system, what size pod do you go to? If you go to three regular, you know, protected rivalries, pods, whatever you want to call them, and that you're only still playing eight games, that leaves five a season, like, you know, wild card games. But there are now 12 other teams. So, you know, do you go, if you play five, it's like you're still only going to be seeing a team every three years, maybe, or do you go three, six, six? But to do that, the SEC has to go to nine games. And I think that is the most sensible thing where it's not that different from the three, five, five that the ACC is considered, where you have your three protected games and then you rotate the other 10 teams every other year. So that way, a kid that goes to school, if he's there for four years, he's playing at every other school in the conference on the road once and he's playing them at home once. So if the SEC goes to nine and goes to three, six, six, you get your three protected rivalries and then you rotate the other 12 teams every other year. But the question is, will the SEC agree to go to a nine game schedule? Because there are some schools that also have their rivalries with ACC schools. And there are also schools that are just trying to think of, you know, Hey, we want to get to the college football playoff and our schedule is pretty difficult as it is at eight in this conference do we really want to add another game? So it's going to be an interesting debate going forward that I think every conference is going to be facing now that they can get rid of divisions. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I, I guarantee you this. They, I think they got to keep at least three. And, and I think it's fun to decide which ones they'll keep. Um, yeah, Some are going to get cut. There's no way you can do this without some rivalries being gone but we already saw that when they expanded to 14 like mm-hmm. when they brought in texas a&m and missouri some teams start stop playing each other as often plus mm-hmm. like once texas joins and if you go to the pod it's going to be fun at least to watch texas and texas a&m fans argue about how they don't want each other in the same pod when they yeah. desperately do right 
I don't think there's going to be pods um, in the terms of like one pod plays another pod the way that the NFL divisions play each other. I think that it'll be more of the, these are your protected rivals and the rest has to cycle through. Mm -hmm. I I think that there's a real potential here based on uh, the SEC. If if you go to the, like what will make the most money, what will make the most money is cutting non-conference games. Like, yes, forget going to nine. What will make the most money is going to a 10 game conference schedule where you do get to play uh, a ton of the conference. You get to see more of the conference and the inventory that you create with all of these SEC on SEC matchups, which now all of a sudden are like Alabama, Texas, which is going to be one of the biggest non-conference games of the entire season in 2022. All of a sudden, that's just oh, a run-of-the-mill conference game. You know, Oklahoma against Texas A&M. Well, that's just a run-of-the-mill conference game. Every single week, that you are going to end up having three games that are going to be between top 15 teams, you know, or at least top 15, top 20 style programs based on, uh, you know, where they are in college football, based on brand name and recognition. Like that's the, if you are fearing the sec breakaway, I think the first step of it is them just starting to cut non-conference games, expand the league schedule and get a little bit closer to, um, we are playing our own sport. Like yeah, we'll we'll send Alabama to the Chick Fil A kickoff game. You know we'll we'll d- still allow uh, you know Florida and Florida State to to be able to play there. That'll be your choice, uh, Gators. If you want to have your non conference schedule be you know one against uh, an in state group of five and then one against Florida State. You know that that is going to be your choice. Every one of these institutions. You, know, you can decide what to do with your two games right there, but we are going to build this thing out so that college football in the SEC is the SEC conference schedule. Like, I don't think from I don't think that's a bad idea. I think that it would be I very think it's sad. a great idea. That's what I want. That's what you want for everybody. I want every conference playing ten conference games. Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, I understand like the for the early season, like the non conference games and neutral sites can be fun for fans and it's good for television. And it's for the school because it's good for television. Therefore, it's good for the revenue. But I don't, I mean, I the basis of this sport is rivalry. Like, you have schools that you hate. And, and I use the term hate loosely. But, you know, sports hate. Like, I hate this school, girl. And you want to see those teams playing each other. I don't care if Oregon or Alabama are playing in September. Like, if they're playing in, in January in a playoff, awesome. But in September, that game's cool, but it really doesn't mean anything. Because the loser is still completely alive in their conference. And once we get to the expanded playoff, that loss is not going to mean nearly anything to Oregon if it wins the Pac-12 because it's still going to get in the playoff and it might not even have to win the Pac-12 to get there if it has a good enough season. So I would rather school conferences just kind of became more insular and just played each other. And I know Bud's talked about this in the past. He doesn't like it because that'll make it a lot harder to do gambling between the conferences. But I, I don't care about that. I mean, it's like... Like if you're playing all the games in conference, you don't need to know as much about playing out of conference. So I just think that it's better for the sport. I think it's better for television. I think it's better for the fans because you're playing against the schools that you care about. And those schools tend to have like the recruits that you cared about who you were going after, who maybe chose your rival schools because as national as recruiting has come, it's still the core of it is still very regional. So I don't know. I, I I would love to see 10 game, 11 game, 12 game conference schedules. You can get rid of non-conference games all you want. But the problem with that is then you are destroying the group of five. Uh, which I'd be okay with, <laughs> to be honest with you. As far as you guys do your own thing, go have your, like, 
you could create something really compelling where the players are actually playing for a real championship, have a group of five championship, have their own playoff, have that play. I still think I'd probably like to see one, one group of five game. I would do away with the FCS games all day long. Yes. But I think all this chip, you said, does this feel like it's the start of the SEC breakaway? I say without question, yes. Especially not only when we think of the scheduling, but when you see half the teams in their own playoff interconference playoff like an sec only playoff i think that to me is probably the first real step towards work and, and this is if you asked anybody who do you think is going to take the bull by the horns at this point of all this uncertainty i would say greg sankey all day long that would be the first answer and that's why i i, I think he's the most powerful most innovative commissioner in sports right now when you look at the opportunity he has and i think he's going to seize it by doing something i mean they're looking at all these different opportunities, looking at every single, you know, I think he said you have to, what was the line he had? It's in the Thamel article. Blue about sky the guy. thinking. What's that? Blue sky thinking. Anything goes like yeah. it, it. We have so to forget. Start over. Forget the reality of what we've known to this point. And I appreciate that because I think you do with all these changes, you can see it as, oh, what are we going to do? We're paying the players. What are we, you know, how are we going to overcome this? Or you could look at it as an opportunity to shape your own league. And I think that's the way he's taking it, which I can appreciate it. And I think some of these other leagues better be watching closely and potentially following along or else they're going to get left behind in the dust. You know, college football is becoming soccer. If you think about it, like Sankey has said, that one of the things that inspired him to do what he's done is he read the book, The Club, which is on the Premier League and how the Premier League was formed. But think of it this way. We're soon going to have transfer windows. Soccer has transfer windows. Or you could go buy players from other schools if you want to. We're talking about possibly an SEC-only playoff in which the SEC kind of breaks away and we see 10-game you know, conference schedules where they're just playing each other. So then it would be like the Premier League and the Big Ten would be like Serie A and all these other conferences would be their own leagues. And then at the end of the season, depending on where you finish in your own leagues, we have this other competition called the Champions League. We call it the college football playoff. Teams that meet certain requirements in their leagues then get to go to this Champions League where they play to be declared the best team in all the land from all the different leagues. That's what the sport is morphing into. Is that good or bad? I think it's good. I don't think that they would give, I don't think the SEC would give that many like points to the other leagues the way that. you know, the way that Serie A is respected, the way that the Bundesliga, the way that Ligue 1 is, you know, they all get their different amounts of points, their different amounts of spots in this competition. I think that it is, and this is one thing that was mentioned in the Pete Thamel article is, you know, what if the it's the SEC versus everybody? What, what if the SEC holds its own playoff and then decides to send it out and say like, all right, Big Ten or the Alliance or, you know, the rest of college football, you go send us your best because we really believe that our league, in the same way that the Premier League fancies itself as like, we are truly the finest competition. We got the best coaches. We got the most money. We can go get the best players from anywhere. Like, I I definitely agree with the SEC Premier League uh, comparison right there. I just don't think that right now, Outside of the Big Ten, you are going to find an argument that they are playing the same game in college football, at least, as the SEC. They're not. But that they're not doing the same thing in soccer. It still doesn't keep them from going to the Champions League. And Premier League's not winning the Champions League every year. 
So go ahead. You th- but do you think so? Here's where I think it gets really interesting and getting a little bit into the weeds about what the the champion, you know, what a college football national champion looks like. If we're because I, I think it's kind of morphing into potentially what a lot of people thought it would be, where you'd have a four-team playoff and you'd have four super conferences and they'd all get one team in and then you'd play. But is the SEC going to allow that without with just one team from the SEC represented in a four-team playoff? I don't think they'll do that. Like, and I don't think they probably should either. Like, are they going to crown their own champion through an eight eight-team playoff in the SEC? and then just let that team go be a part of the college football playoff or a national championship game. Maybe it's a one-game one you know, uh, championship for all the marbles. I don't know. But I, I would, my hunch would tell me no. Like, and I, don't, and I, I wouldn't blame them for doing it because of what we're talking about. It is a tougher schedule top to bottom, especially if they're playing 10 games. Do you believe that Greg Sankey is as personally hurt as has been indicated by some of these reporting uh, in the way that the college football playoff expansion talks fell apart. Because the way that I've had it uh, pictured is that he did put in time, right? I mean, they they had put in time and effort and they had put together what they thought was going to be something that was supported and to have it not only backfire initially, but can just crumble entirely. The, the, the comments from Greg Sankey in early 2022 where he was just extremely frustrated with his colleagues and the the reporting that indicates that whatever camaraderie had been there among commissioners is is slowly starting to slip away. You know, that's that's where it's like the future of the college football playoff to me is going to be hinging on what the SEC decides to do because the SEC could decide like we're not going to participate in the college football playoff. And therefore you lose all of the value of not all of the you lose a ton of value in the college football playoff as it is. And then if the SEC with its new all in media partner decides that it's going to create its own postseason, I think the bigger winner there are these teams that would have no shot at a college football playoff, whether it's four teams, eight teams, 12 teams. If you create an eight team SEC playoff, then you give like a, a selling point. You give hope, you give a competitive, um, a competitive selling reason to go and play at uh, a mid-tier SEC team when normally you'd be thinking, oh my gosh, in this 16-team league that's already difficult that is now going to have Texas and Oklahoma, like, what are we doing? Are we just are we taking the check to lose every year? Well, now you all of a sudden, you give them something where you say, all right, well, you can make the SEC playoff and that's what you're going to be able to sell instead of being like, oh yeah, you can go eight and four and go to the Outback Bowl and be the, you know, go and represent the Bloomin' Onion uh, for all of us out there. Like it is a bigger selling point to be like, no, you can make the SEC playoff. I thought that the winners of an SEC only playoff are the teams that would be finishing fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh in the standings, maybe making that playoff when they would have no shot at being able to make the college football playoff. I don't see a scenario in which the SEC isn't part of the college football playoff. I think at the core, like even if it had its own playoff and they were like, well, the SEC champion is the real champion. You know, we're the best conference in the world. The SEC, SEC fans love nothing more than proving that. Oh, against the rest of the country? Like they they want to beat each other and then they want to go face the best team from the Big Ten or the ACC or the Big Twelve, the Pac twelve, and beat the hell out of them so they could say we are the best conference in the world. If you break off from the college football playoff and you're just insular 
and you have your own playoff and you don't play anybody else, then they could crow that they're the best team, their best league in the world all they want. And they might be right, but they they're not proving it. And that kind of, you know, I, I think their ego would not let them do that. Put it that way. Hmm. I think it would. I do too. I think they I, can just I be think, like, we're the best. We yeah, don't we care. Are we are college football. Like, yeah, oh, we smoke other you guys. We all do. It's just the, the lower tier college football. We are the major leagues. Mm-hmm. But then prove it. And the only, the reason the SEC you know what, is- You know what they would do? You know what they would do? I, I Trust me, I've gotten this argument a, a zillion times. They would be like, we just won. You know, we've had 12 of the last 17 champions and look at the NFL draft and look at how many players we have. We're the, like, you could just go with history and say, we are just, at, we've gotten even better since then. Why do we waste our time with those? Memories goals? are short. You do that for five, 10 years where you're not playing anybody. And people are going to be like, so what have you done in the last 10 years? Like, 20 years ago, I was 20. I'm not anymore. <laughs> I could say I was, but I'm not anymore. Nothing would surprise me, though. Like, if we had multiple national champions again in college football, it wouldn't shock me at all. How, how do you feel about it personally? Oh, I would want, I want to see a true, I want to see a true playoff where you see representation from around the country. And I think that would actually elevate if you had a bigger TV contract, if you had teams with an expanded playoff in the Pac-12 that were guaranteed a spot, uh, in the new Big 12 guaranteed a spot. I think it would help those teams recruiting-wise. I think it would in, you know, infuse a lot of life into a playoff right now. It would settle a lot of the debates that we have, and it would be great for the sport. I think like as much as the, oh, well, this is good. Like This, this creates conversation, and it creates chaos, and it creates um, you know, uh, fan you know, engagement. I still think it's bad that we don't have a true playoff and it's an invitational. And I don't know how financially viable an SEC only playoff is because. Oh, you don't really, you don't think that would be a massive boon for the SEC. I think you're limiting your earning potential by doing it though, because as things stand right now, the college football playoff gets a ton of money because the entire country cares about it. Like, you know, everybody at least has sold the idea. Like if you expand the playoff, you're selling the idea. So therefore it becomes a much more marketable television product because Big Ten fans are watching it. Big 12 fans are watching. Everybody's watching it. If it's just an SEC playoff and it's just SEC playing SEC all the time, at some point, people from outside the SEC footprint are not going to care. It's just going to be people in that region of the country who are watching and caring. Now, it's a fervent fan base, and it is going to care a lot, and you will make money off of it. But you're going to hit that ceiling pretty soon because it's at some point, like, look, at you're going to get tired the, of it. Which opens the door for expansion. <laughs> for conference expansion? Like SEC yeah. and more? S- more Super they- League. See, that's the thing I've heard from multiple coaches that they feel – we're heading in a direction where it's 30, 40 teams, and there's going to be a new, you know, a new look super league, you know, super conference, whatever you want to call it. But I think the Power Five can break off on their own and do that, and the SEC doesn't have to break free on its own. I think the, if the Power Five conferences did that, you would have a monopoly because the group of five conferences are never cracking that nut, and you would be able to control every single aspect of the sport you would be able to control the, the revenue and as long as you're still playing the sport people are still caring and you're still at the biggest schools in the country with the largest alumni bases you're going to be able to keep making money off of it and you're going to be able to do whatever you want with it so 
at some point you're basically if the SEC goes separate and then the plan is to expand to add more teams, it's like, well, why not just start there? If you um, and one last thing on this, do you believe that the if if the Power Five breakaway were to happen, do you think it's sustainable with the? Re- do you make a big deal out of the revenue projections? You know, when, when, where people say where people say is like, how are you going to be making? playing the same game when you're, you've got half the amount of per school revenue that's coming in against the SEC and the Big Ten. The ACC and the Pac-12, uh, Big 12's got negotiations coming up soon. Pac-12 has negotiations coming up soon. But the belief would be that you would be not... Um, does, does money matter for competitiveness in college football to you? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Why do you think the SEC and Big Ten have separated money because it really wasn't like and that's that's why i get pegged all the time is you know this anti-sec guy like 10 years ago when i was making an argument that they weren't that much better you had schools and leagues that were competing in the draft you know numbers weren't that different you were only trailing by a few it was it was a lot closer but as that money from the sec network has started to trickle in and flow to all the sec schools it's made them all stronger same thing with the big 10 which is why those two conferences have pulled away from everybody else yeah, so I absolutely I, think money has a big deal, you know, big part to play in it. Yeah, I can't remember what the number was after the draft, but it was like half, nearly half the players selected in the draft were Big Ten or SEC. Mm-hmm. It's it's not. And it wasn't that like ten years ago. The ACC was in second. Yeah, you know, and they were pretty close. They weren't that far behind, and now they've been eclipsed by the Big Ten, and it's and the, and the Big Ten's pulling away because they're. You, there's an argument that college football has always had a resource issue, and there have always been programs that have been way ahead of everybody else. But the the reason why the projections have brought about this new existential crisis about a breakaway or pulling away or not being able to play on the same field, it has to do with media rights money that is different than it's ever been before. And the fact that these big checks are coming in not by how many like the money's not coming in based on how many fans are at your game or even how much money the boosters are giving. It is just a straight check from the conference for you being you. I mean, it wouldn't that be awesome if we just got checks for just being us just a, didn't even have to like win. You finished last place. Well, congratulations. You get $50 million. You know, you, you finished first place. You get $50 million. And I, I think that college college basketball has stories of programs with less resources, being able to win at a higher level all the time. The argument is in college football because of everything that is poured into the support staffs, everything that is poured into recruiting facilities that when we've got this lops, this much of a lopsided view of resources, that there's no way to compete. And it is my little idealistic um, view that programs with less resources should be able to compete, that we should have coaches that are going to be able to um, show up at some of these programs that are not the SEC and the Big Ten and be able to put together winning seasons based on recruiting and player development. But that seems like I'm going to get laughed out of the room for thinking that'd be the case. Like That would be the motivating factor for the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big 12 agreeing to enter into a new 45-team, 50-team, 60-team you know, Super League college football world is to say, like, okay, we know that we are making half the money that they are on an annual basis from our media rights deal. But we believe enough in our coaches. We believe enough in our culture. Again, am I the the naive one here for thinking that that could still be a competitive uh, college football world? Kind of. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a huge difference between basketball and football, Obviously. not, not just financially, but like 
it's the financial differences between the two are the byproduct of the sports themselves. Because the reason small budget college basketball programs can compete is that there's five guys on the court per team. Mm-hmm. So it only takes one guy. Like one player can take over a basketball game. One player can't take over a football game. That's not true. I saw Cam Newton. No, you're pointing <laughs> There are exceptions, but I'm saying by and, and you large. You also have five guys that play both ways. Like you have exactly. one player, he can dominate both sides. He can shut down your best player and score. You know, it's a totally different animal when you're talking about 11 guys on offense and 11 guys on defense, all special. You know, it's just, it's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's fundamentally different in that obviously at the college level, a great player can change things, but it's not as easy at basketball. I mean, that's the difference between the NCAA tournament and college football. You see upsets in college basketball far more often because one guy gets hot and it can completely change the outcome of a game. Whereas in football, if a guy gets hot, he might have a great game and his team might lose by three touchdowns. Shout out to Nick Foles. And mm-hmm. was it? A solid verbal and a losing effort back yeah. in the day. Drove like 550 yards, four touchdowns in a losing effort. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, we will leave you with this quote uh, from Scott Strickland, the Florida Athletic Director. We have an incredibly strong league, one that will be even stronger once Oklahoma and Texas join. The focus should be on how we as a league use that strength to further position the SEC as we face new realities. Commissioner Sankey has encouraged our athletic directors to think creatively and an SEC-only playoff is a different idea that we should absolutely consider as an option. Mm. Oh, boy. I solved the whole thing with one tweet. I think I... uh, What if we just call the regular season the playoff? Boom. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) You could sell it it as a playoff. There you go. It's the regular season. It's a great format. You play nine games... And then the teams with the best records at the end of that nine-game tournament play in the championship game. Boom. Then yeah, so- it's way too much like soccer. Then you're getting into all these soccer it's where stuff. where we're going. Yeah. It's where yeah. we're going. It's called pool play. That's what yeah. we're doing. Like all, all of the regular season is called pool play. Uh, we will be back tomorrow on Thursday with a fresh mailbag episode. So you know what to do. Go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Put a mailbag question in that review. We will add it to the big old bag of mail and tackle it in a mailbag episode. You can't. Follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Canelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See ya. to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.